and welcome to Dinesh Guarda CitiesABC Open Business Council.org series. We are a fast-growing YouTube podcast, Thought Leadership channel, focused on profiling the global leading inspired people, CEOs, authors, technologists, academy people, and the global experts changing and creating solutions to our world. We highlight ideas, products, inventions, platforms, and especially the opportunities we face in our cities and nations with the advent of all these uh, crazy and sophisticated softwares, and as well, especially the concepts around the fourth industrial revolution and society 5.0, as well, the challenge that comes out of digital transformation, and of course, the frontier technologies or emerging technologies from artificial intelligence, blockchain, fintech, IoT, quantum computing, a lot of other things. These series are produced and created by um, the platform citiesabc.com and openbusinesscouncil.org and syndicated on the platforms as well, part of our group, intelligenthq.com, fashionabc.org, edgepink.com and tradersdna.com. And uh, the series as well are distributed in multiple different platforms in podcasts worldwide the major podcasts from SoundCloud to all the others. So um, today I'm, I welcome Damu Wisdom, which is a multidimensional personality, as we joked before, and I think it's probably one word to discuss and as well to describe him. So Damu Rufaro Winston um, is an international digital advisor and founder, a serial entrepreneur, and uh, the founder of Teachable and the speaker in Darab um, Emerging Technology and Startup Conferences and a bit all over the world as well. He is the author of the book um, on Amazon Kindle, I Don't Trust You, But Blockchain and Bitcoin Will Help. Um, and he has been working and led global distributed teams in the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, India, Mexico, and the US, where he actually uh, was born, but as well with, a, with an African base and origin. And Damu is an expert in building innovative solutions that empower organizations, harness diversity, and as well looks at leverage cutting-edge technology to make sure that uh, organizations, governments can actually go through this. And I like particularly that he's a very focused person on education, an area that I, it's of my heart. And as well, uh, he's been hosting a lot of advice, especially with startup accelerators and different programs around different areas. And FinTeachable is a particularly interesting one, but as well, he's been as well the uh, FinTech lectures, where he's been training 400 banking professionals and in UAE and over 500 plus classroom hours uh, since December 2018. So um, especially in the areas of FinTech and financial and technology and all these different areas of blockchain and emerging technologies. So welcome to our series. Damu, is an honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Truly honored to have, be a part of this session. So thank you for having me. I'm truly excited about today. Thank you. The, the same here. And, the, and I want to start by, I think, like I mentioned, the multidimensional personality. And I think it's very important for our world because we have, unfortunately, in our mainstream media, we have a narrative that narrows a lot of the achievements that we are doing as humans. So I want to go back being an American and being in the Middle East and as well having an African heart. So yeah. how do you deal with all? Um, how do you end up in Dubai and Middle East? But as well, from an America to there, I know that the culture are very different. Yeah. There's a lot of learning. And as well, we bring as well a lot of the dynamics of America as well, which has its strengths as that well. That is a... Uh, a very interesting question you asked me there because um, it covers a lot of different topics. So I, I'll try to summarize it like this. 
Uh, I'm a firm believer in something called exposure yields growth. And so what that really means is that, you know, we are limited by what we surround ourselves with. But the more we expose ourselves to different things, different cultures, different technologies, we have an opportunity to really think outside of the box, have an opportunity to see how other cultures handle certain situations. And I think that that's what really makes us well-rounded, as well as just teaches us that one perspective isn't the only perspective that matters, or the only perspective that actually makes a difference, or the only perspective that makes an impact, right? And so having had the opportunity to live in West Africa, to live in the U.S., and to live in the Middle East, I've not only seen how diversity is viewed in the U.S. versus diversity viewed in Africa versus diversity viewed and and even in the Middle East, and they're widely different. Even when we talk about technology, which is a whole other different um, animal there. But at the, but at the end of the day, what has helped me was that have you know what I call or what what people call a growth mindset. Uh, I like to believe it's more of an innovation mindset. What that really means is that I'm always thinking about how do I solve the uh, a situation? How do I in process improve it? How do I, you know, leverage something I've already learned somewhere else and, and capitalize based on the environment I'm in? So having that innovation mindset that transcends just technology, but also dealing with people has been truly um, you know, a necessity, honestly. So, so a part of this, and I think it's important always, I always like, especially with you, that has been academic and as well uh, industry player. Can you tell us yeah. a bit of that background of your education, your master's, your education sure. that, that has been, and I think as well, even on that, uh, the perspective of the different cultures from education in the US to education in the Middle East, which is completely sure. different, I would say. But as well as we get into the next century, or actually we are already in the next century, we are 20 years on this century, but more than Asian Middle East century than actually uh, Europe or, or US. Yeah, so the, my, just to give everyone a little kind of a background about my education. So um, I was obviously born in the U.S. and I grew up in West Africa. Um, when, I, when, I, when I was in West Africa, um, I was, you know, I, I, when I, I was born with, um, what is it called again? Pretty much photographic memory. Uh, it's a term for it. But I was able to really recall just about anything that I saw and I could be able to just really see it in my head and be able to kind of articulate it. Um, so when I grew up in West Africa, the, the learning system there was fundamentally different than the U.S. Uh, and in West Africa, the big part is you, you learn kind of rote, rote meaning um, they just drill it into you, so to speak. So you get butt whoopings, actually, uh, at a young age, whereas the, in the U.S., no one can actually hit, their, hit, hit people's kids. So completely different. Um, but I, I think at a young age, um, I was just forced to learn uh, to be really good at math and science, to be really good. So much so when I came back to the U.S., I, was, I pretty much had completed all of my um, middle school and, and pretty much high school level of, of math and science. Um, but the downside was my reading, the way I read, I only knew how to read w words by the actual whole word. So how some people spell out the word trust, I would read it as trust, one word, because I memorized the word. And so that had a disadvantage when I got back into the U.S. where you learned something called phonemic awareness. Uh, but either way, um, I, I did my undergrad in North Carolina. Uh, and then uh, along, the, along the journey, I was working in the nuclear energy space uh, back in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, between there and Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and in New York, I had an opportunity to uh, go on vacation with my wife. And we ended up in Dubai. 
And then I, I was looking at an MBA program at the time, and I saw something called Halt International Business School, which offered a one-year MBA program. Uh, and so that program, I actually uh, did that, which allowed me to rotate between Dubai, uh, San Francisco, and then graduate in Davos, Switzerland on the uh, World Economic Forums uh, stage. So awesome experience. Um, and then now I ended up finding myself now back in Dubai in the middle in the UAE, teaching every single uh, every single bank here in the UAE on really financial services. So fintech, um, blockchain, AI, uh, design thinking, customer journey mapping. But my main course right now is something called Future Proof Banker, or really, what does it mean to be future proof? Uh, and it's really taking all the things that I've learned, you know, from at a young age. Uh, living in West Africa, to uh, the things I, I did in the U.S. I, I, started, I worked for companies like IBM, worked on a patent for IBM. I've worked uh, uh, for the Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and then some of the, the largest projects in their uh, entire history. Um, so point is, I've leveraged all those learnings, even working in the healthcare and nuclear energy space, and then bring it all full circle now to really teach how do we be future-proof in a post-COVID or, or during a COVID time period? Um, and so that's where I'm at now. Hopefully that answered your question. I know it's very inspiring and I love, especially I want to uh, touch the future thinking. I think it's yeah. particularly important nowadays. Um, but I, I think before that, so I would like, um, especially in the, um, in terms of your career highlights. So I mentioned that you are the founder of Inteachable.com and as yeah. well I mentioned in the Bible, but I think particularly interesting, COVID-19fund.us. Um, yeah. So I think it's interesting as well. So can you highlight about some of your careers, highlights sure. and what you're doing right now? Absolutely. So Finteachable, real quick, Finteachable is a marketplace for uh, FinTech uh, experts. At the end of the day, I call them, I call them uh, teacherpreneurs. So uh, a lot of us who are academics, who are, or a better statement, a lot of us who are practitioners, eventually you get to a point where you, where you really want to follow your passion. Or because of COVID, you know, the opportunities are not as, as, as plethora uh, to be in the actual classroom. So I've really created a platform, a really niche platform for experts like you and I to share our expertise with people who want those, those insights. Uh, I call it tribal knowledge is what we have. You and I have worked in... Um, multiple projects, and we understand how things actually get done versus what you see in textbooks where oftentimes they're conceptual or case studies that are actually, you know, an anomaly, right? We, we try to teach what's practical and what's local. So I call it you know, localization is a big piece of it. And so again, what I'm doing now in the region is I'm teaching every single bank here in the UAE on really how to implement uh, and what are some of the emerging technologies and things that they should be implementing today if they haven't already implemented it, which a lot of them have not, just, just the reality of it. Um, the other thing is, you know, uh, because of COVID, uh, I, I still have a lot of uh, projects happening in the US. So one's in the PPE space of personal protective equipment. Another one is something called COVID19funding.us. And ultimately it's just a platform to help small businesses gain access to capital. So we saw that early on uh, when we call it the economic injury that people are experiencing today um, is that's literally driven because of all the lockdowns, because people are not moving as much, tourism's down, et cetera, et cetera. And we saw that there was a need for people to get access to capital. So grants, loans, uh, different foundations. And then we're going to roll out another 
element of it is around uh, access to VCs. And it's really, again, targeted on small businesses that are in the U.S. So those are my two major initiatives I have going on. And then the PPE business, which is for the, probably the rest of our lives, we wearing a mask. And so I, I, did, I saw it as a, I must, I must get into this space. That's pretty much it. Very impressive. And, and I think very important, especially the both platforms have a big thing because especially um, you are in Middle East and as well in North Africa and, and there's yeah. still, well, we still have 2 billion people unbanked, but a lot of people yeah. that are banked are underbanked, which is a kind of another tech, tech part. So I want to touch more on the, before we go more on a lot of questions. I have. Can I add to something to that real quick? If you don't mind, I want to add well, just one I'll, small thing. Yeah. No, well, I was going to just one, one small thing. You, you said a lot of people are underbanked. Absolutely. But our whole entire financial infrastructure is transforming. It's being disrupted. It's changing, right? And the reality of it is, there, you're right, there's so many people that are unbanked and underbanked, but because of emerging technology like blockchain, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, at some point, uh, because of uh, AI, et cetera, et cetera, you know, there's an opportunity uh, like no other time that we've seen in history for us to create new uh, products and services that did not exist before. And this is why this is the perfect time to learn about fintech if you're not already in the fintech space or even learn about what's happening in other parts of the world uh, so that you can, you know, create something that's either new for your region where you are or leverage something that exists somewhere else and create something that's fundamentally different, game-changing, that's necessary for the world that we live in today, this digitally dependent society that we live in. Completely. And I think this is the critical element as well, because I think if we, first of all, if we empower people with all these digital tools, we can get much more results. So before I go to blockchain, yeah. which I have a lot of questions and you wrote a book about it, but I think before yeah. that, so in terms of how does it work in Teachable? Because I think, I think sure. that our economy is driven by, by platforms, but most of these platforms yeah. are actually based on your home country. That is Silicon yep. Valley and the other ones are actually in China. So at the moment, yeah. most of the world economy is centralized about that. And actually, if you look at the biggest tech platforms are becoming biggest tech, uh, fintech platforms. So Amazon is the biggest fintech player in the world, at least Western world. And Alibaba is the, big, the biggest uh, and Tencent are the biggest financial players in especially um, uh, China and as well in even in, in the rest of Asia. So a bit of how Teachable works and some of the insights that you've been doing with the platform. Sure. In its simplest form, uh, Finteachable is a platform that offers personalized training, personalized by thought leaders and experts in the industry around financial technologies. That's the simplest way of putting it. So our main focus right now, is we have live webinars that we schedule based on really the time, zone, uh, time zones here in the Middle East. In the future, we're going to expand and do uh, be a little bit more broader. But right now, we're very focused. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, one of their uh, biggest risks or challenges that they have is that they try to tackle everything all at once. And one of the things I teach is that you want to win locally before you win regionally, before you win globally. And so to be focused with our time and our resources, meaning our money uh, and the, the resources as in people around us, um, that we focus on the GCC, the Middle East, pretty much, uh, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, etc. Um, and so we have teachers in just about each of these respective countries. And even now we're pulling in uh, Israel uh, as a part of this as well. And again, these teachers, I call them 
uh, teacherpreneurs, because now we're taking, again, people like you and I who are practitioners, meaning we've done projects before, and now either for various reasons, now they want to uh, be teachers. Uh, so some of them are first-time teachers, but most of them are people like you and I who are, you know, uh, teachers now. You know, we, we do consulting or advisory projects on the side, but for the most part, we are, we've, we're following our passion. I think all of us enjoy to teach it to someone else. Uh, one of the things I tell people all the time is that, you know, the true mother of learning is teaching it to someone else. So the moment you're able to take something that you've done and actually apply it and now not just apply it, but also teach it to someone else, it really forces you to become um, even a better expert because you have to think about it from multiple different perspectives versus just the one perspective you learned it by. Because you have to find different ways to teach it to different people. Because some people learn purely visual, visually, and others learn through uh, audio or through experiences, right? By giving them examples and, and having them or co-creation. And so at the end of the day, I, I just truly think that if, if you are a practitioner who, have, who has industry experience building FinTech products, then FinTeachable is the right platform for you to be able to share your knowledge and earn money along the way. One of the questions I have is, you mentioned a very good point in terms of education. There is um, different people have different ways of learning. And yeah. this is something that, unfortunately, most of the universities, most of the schools are not tackling. For instance, yeah. Google just launched recently a massive technology program that is going to probably kill a lot of universities. Yeah. But from your experience, and, and you are educating not young people, educating professionals, yeah. what would be some of the highlights that you see in terms of the present of education? Yeah, so I think uh, the world we live in now, collaboration is the new everything. It's all about collaboration. Uh, so even right now, we're doing a Zoom call. You're in London uh, and I'm in Dubai and we're collaborating on, on this, you know, this uh, webinar, so to speak. So, the, so one of the things that I think a lot of um, traditional uh, academic programs are focused on or is on individual learning. You learn how to buy your, you, you have content and you master that one piece of content. But I think, uh, and also a lot of schools focus on degrees. I think the jobs of the future are going to really focus on uh, expertise or certifications, which are, which really is expertise in a particular vertical. And so what we try to do at FinTeachable is focus on the things that will pay, that pay the bills within the financial services space. So if you're going to roll out a trade finance solution, or you're going to roll out a, a chat bot, something, something, something simple like that, or you want to work on an STO, security token offering, we want to teach people what are these things and what are the tools that people are actually using today to roll those type of projects out? It's very straightforward. And we do it in a way that's collaborative and personalized because we have to personalize it to the audience. You just can't teach uh, something that's very generic and everyone will get it. If you're, if you're studying for an exam, uh, then you have certain, things, certain uh, information that you must know to pass the exam. And if you want something like that, then Coursera, Udemy, and and platforms like that are, are perfect. But if you're looking for something where you can ask questions in real time, you can get feedback in real time, you can ask, can, you get, can I get another example? Or how, has you, have you, how have you seen that actually work? If you're looking for something like that, then I think there, uh, I'm not really aware of any other platforms in the Middle East whatsoever that are like that, uh, like what we're doing. Yeah, even worldwide, I think this is 
is key because it's one of the areas that I think with the exception of two or three initiatives that have been focused on that, at least platforms and as well, like you mentioned, digital certificates are critical. And I think uh, yeah. even I see from my children that they have no digital education and they've been teaching for 10 years. And, and as well, I think that is the key and I think is one of the biggest failures of the digital education in general. And especially, for instance, right now, Oxford and Cambridge and all these big universities are doing digital courses online, yeah. most of the US companies. But I think just even for instance, I, I, I did, for instance, the Oxford the blockchain course certificate. And I was not very impressed, but I'm an industry expert. But there's a lot of things. And I think this is the, the future of... of uh, all our business, like you said, is about collaboration. So I want to touch that part. So as yeah. a, an author in blockchain yes. um, and as well uh, a teacher, you yes. your book was uh, I Don't Trust You, But Blockchain and Bitcoin Will Help. I would yes. like to hear about, it's a very provocative title and very interesting for our times. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about this book. I think it's a great, a great thing for everyone listening to us. Sure, sure. I think we live in a time period where distrust, is at an all-time high, or a lack of trust is at an all-time high. You know, right now, what's considered real or fake, original or copy, um, is all made relative based on what's trending. And so when we think about blockchain, those, us, those of us who are in the field, we see blockchain as an infrastructure of trust, an infrastructure of trust, meaning that the people are part of the network or the community we see a common truth. And so what I wanted to try to highlight here is that this concept, this technology, this, meth this, uh, this uh, understanding of, of this technology called blockchain, it is not as complicated as some academics try to make it out to be. It is something that is infrastructure technology, something that most of us will never ever see whatsoever. All we really care about is that our, our solutions that we have work. And so infrastructure, just like a road that we drive on or uh, that, we, that we fly land on, it's just infrastructure. And so I just wanted to find a way to demystify the, what the technology is and also talk about actual um, real implementations that are happening in the UAE and around the world. And so in the UAE in particular, you know, um, they've shifted away from just calling it a blockchain strategy to calling it a paperless strategy. We have a 2020 uh, paperless strategy, but because of COVID, I think things are going to be pushed out a little bit. Uh, actually, we, we know they are. And then as for the entire UAE, there's a 2021 strategy where 50% of all um, uh, the government entities uh, must be on blockchain or in some kind of digital capacity uh, by the end of 2021. And so I just wanted to highlight again that we have so much distrust in the world. So we all need some kind of way to establish a common form of trust amongst peers. And I think I'm confident uh, from what I'm seeing in the industry and what I'm teaching that this, the blockchain is the way forward or DLT or Interledger, all of that. Uh, I, I encompass it all together in the same, uh, the same bucket because there's small differences when we really look at it. I think I know that you are in, in Middle East and especially in, in Dubai, which is right now, like you mentioned, a living actually uh, country and uh, ecosystem in terms of digitizing society. And it's yeah. been actually a case study for the rest of the world. Um, can you tell us some, some overviews on that? And as well, I want to touch the yeah. second part, the second part of the interview of the question. How do you look as well at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? Because as well, being a fintech education, yeah, personal yeah. and experts, I'm sure the yeah. two things are different, but they sometimes yes. get mixed. 
I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so your first question was, what am I seeing as the trends happening in the, in the Middle East? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I see. Yeah, in the blockchain space. So I, I, I see, uh, well, two things. I work with a lot of startups here in the region. I'm a mentor for several of the largest accelerator programs here. And so I work with a lot of startups. Um, I'm an advisor. Um, I invest in startups, et cetera. Um, a better statement, I invest in people who are launching startups. It's a better statement. Um, but what I will say, the, the big trend now we're seeing is this whole shift towards uh, central bank digital currencies. I think we're going to see maybe you know, by the end of the year, uh, early next year, every month, there's going to be some new, uh, new announcement about central bank digital currency. That's going to be the big push. But what I, what I uh, advise uh, all of these di uh, different government entities that I know and that I, I communicate with is that I think they should be really thinking about the corporation crypto. I think the corporation crypto uh, actually is a stronger reality than, the, than countries' uh, digital currencies. Uh, and the reason being is corporations are now the modern day empires, meaning they span across multiple countries. Countries are geolocated. Facebook is everywhere. Google is everywhere. Amazon is everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. And so when these entities, in my humble opinion, this is again my personal opinion, and I can't speak for any government entity, but I tell them this all the time. Uh, it just, it, it, I, I would be shocked if the if corporations do not push forward with their own um, payment infrastructure. I would not be, I would not be, um, uh, I would not be shocked if like a Visa or you know, a MasterCard or any of these other, you know, um, payment uh, infrastructure platforms uh, decide to go in a different direction than a, than a centralized co country's currency. Because we, what, when we think about the concept of value, value is being, in my humble opinion, distorted now. So value, I call it the law of value in my book. Yeah, the law of value in my book is called, has three characteristics. It must be unique, scarce, and have a demand. If any of those three concepts are, are broken, then the value is broken. So the analogy I give in, uh, to all my students is, imagine I have a cup of water and you're thirsty. If you want my water, uh, again, it's unique, it's scarce. If you want my water, you'll pay for it. But if your government decides out the blue, we're gonna increase the value, so we're gonna um, distribute you know, income or capital to the, the people, what will end up happening is we have something called hyperinflation. Uh, everyone will have the same amount of money and therefore I can charge more for this water, right? So in other words, it's kind of like us not having any money whatsoever, but because we just, you know, kind of like what we see in Venezuela or even Lebanon or, or so on and so forth. So the point is the, um, the concept of, of value uh, is broken when we think about traditional currencies like the dollar, the yen, the pound, et cetera. And so I do think that a lot of governments are going to be trying to uh, shift towards a digital uh, backed currency. And, but I do think a corporation which spans across multiple borders, kind of like the World Wide Web, is really where the future of currency is going to reside. And so when I think about something like Bitcoin, uh, which has been around since really 2009, January, when the first road transaction took place, not in October of 2008, um, that really birthed, you know, a... a um, a new economy. And so what, 
so yeah so i think currency is just changing it really is the law of value is going to be maintained uh, i think over time we're going to see i don't want to be so political right now but i just think over time we're going to see some fundamental challenges with traditional currencies uh fiat currency and we're going to see the emergence of, of more and more digital currencies um obviously china will i think will be leading the way there and the u.s will shortly try to catch up but the but the ones that have the greatest opportunity here are going to be those corporations that span across multiple borders because they don't have a physical border. Completely, I completely subscribe, and I think you mentioned very good points, specifically about this important. I, I know that you've been having, especially in the US, a lot of uh, issues, and you still have with the elections and things like that. But I think yeah. definitely, if you're not focusing on international cooperation, you won't survive. And as well, because as populations get older around the world, yeah. and we have young people they will be more digital savvy. And even the ones that are not digital savvy, they won't have a chance. So I want yeah. to continue on that uh, because that's a very important thing. And I think, well, all your work right now around FinTech and all these yeah. different areas. So from, from the expertise that you got uh, in this, uh, both teaching, uh, both yeah. in business schools, but as well right now professionals, what yes. would be the challenge that you see when it comes to FinTech in particular? Because there's a lot of things and there's a big when you talk about fintech yeah. the other day, is everything about finance. So. Yeah, the number one course I have now is something called Future Proof Banker or Next Generation Banker. And the really the, the premise behind it is that we live in an age where you must go digital. You must. In, in Arabic, there's a word called lazim, meaning you must. Uh, and so I, we, I, I stress this. Um, a lot of us, uh, I, I think for an older generation, uh, their biggest challenge, a better statement, let me back up, sorry. The biggest challenge that we're going to find is that those people who are, are, are going to be forced to learn new digital competencies when they've been doing the same job for the last 15, 20 years, right? If you've been doing the, the same type of job for the last 15, 20 years, trying to shift to do something that's completely digital, that's going to be very challenging for you. And so I think those people are going to be the ones that are what, what I call, um, they're going to need what I call career displacement counselors because they will be displaced from the traditional workforce. So what I, what I teach is that technology does three major things for us. It helps us to personalize how we engage our stakeholders, number one, and or personalize the staff that we hire. The second thing is technology allows us to be more productive. And if we have per, greater uh, personalization and, and greater productivity will lead to greater profitability, right? Because even if our, our revenue stays the same, but our costs go down, we become more profitable. Or if our revenue goes up, et cetera, et cetera, you understand the concept. And so I, I, I just believe the challenge that we face for older generation that are, that are not focused on lifelong learning, which meaning they're not learning, continuously learning, uh, that they will... Um, suffer the, the greatest because they won't be able to be hired for those personalized jobs of today in the future. And so one of the things I want to, I like to try to teach uh, my students is that here are the areas that we see tremendous growth in. And so here's an opportunity for you to start learning about it, you know, from, uh, you know, piece by piece by piece, kind of build your, your blocks, build your layers so that you can get to a point where you've, You've, you've developed a new digital competency, competency that is relevant for the jobs of today and in the future. Because those people who are depending on 
you know, governments to, to give them stimulus checks or, or government to support their way of living, uh, you know, like social securities in, in the U.S. or pensions. Those things, uh, as, as, we can, as our society continues to evolve because of, uh, with, with advancements to uh, preventive care and advancements in healthcare system, we'll live longer. But we cannot have an expectation or, or even think that our governments, uh, unfortunately and fortunately, however you want to look at it, will be able to fund our way of life for those who are not adopting the new technologies. We do not have high utilization as we emerge into this new fourth industrial revolution. So I don't, I don't mean to be morbid. I just mean to state facts here. We need to be thinking, you know, uh, if, uh, if you want high utilization, if you want to have high, you want to continue to offer value into the ecosystem that you're a part of, we have to be thinking in terms of how do I learn the new or, or emerging tools so that I can be productive and leverage those things so that I can be, per, I can be a personalized resource for those uh, tools that are emerging so I can add value to my ecosystem and my community and, and generate more value to my, uh, to my household. Completely, and I think that is going to be, um, it's very painful because I think what I feel and I want to highlight that probably in the next question is my experience personal is that we have a kind of a paradox that everyone is increasingly digital. And, yes. uh, and I think you touched that. Uh, yeah. um, and as well, I like what you said that uh, digitizing can actually have a lot of uh, upgrade in terms of co cutting costs, growth yeah. and return on investment. But the challenge as well is understanding this as part of business and as part of integration of business. And I think this is partly, from my experience, where we have a paradox that the governments are not digital, most of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you touched one important thing that I want to highlight as well and ask the question right now is, when it comes to the present and future work we are right now in the fourth industrial revolution, society 5.0, which is the constant more balance from the Japanese government. Yeah. But we have a paradox that digital transformation is still not working. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we see that uh, in most of the world economy, which mm -hmm. for instance, let's look for instance at the U S elections, which was a completely flop. And I think it's a shame for the country being the second biggest economy or first, uh, according to our see the first. <laughs> Yeah, it was the first. So I think that my question is that this is not like people, um, I don't think anyone wants to be behind, but yeah. this kind of the education is failing on this. And yeah. as well, we have these velocities where we have, for instance, Apple with $250 yeah. billion dollars in, in savings when most yeah. of the countries have just stepped. So we yeah. have, uh, how do you see these things, and especially Middle East, which yeah. is a more centralized system, but yeah. using all the decentralized software and technologies? Yeah, well, well I, I think... Um, Again, I don't want to speak for any government entities, but from what I, uh, I'm aware of about that, what I'm um, trying to find the right way of wording it, but from what I um, understand is that they recognize some of these technologies are tremendously disruptive. And uh, rather than taking the risk of them being disrupted, they are uh, onboarding it and trying to find ways to harness it, right? Uh, so something like the UAE, where it's a monarchy system, completely different than most other countries where there's a democracy. But what they've done is um, they've created their infrastructure. Uh, so a um, blockchain as a service infrastructure provided by the government. And therefore, um, they, um, when it comes to, say, your digital identity, the country has the ownership of your digital identity. And you can join their ecosystem, right? 
And when you join their ecosystem as a bank, for example, you can share eKYC and authorize or authenticate eKYC for that particular bank. So in other words, at the end of the day, the shift from who owns the, uh, or who controls the, um, eat your, your, uh, know your customer information, it shifts from the corporation to the government, right? Kind of like how uh, a lot of people don't know this, but when you think about something like Apple Pay, Apple Pay uh, it uses a kind of like a DLT type of solution. When we, when you really look behind the, the, the curtains, uh, they're using something like Zcash. So if anyone knows what Zcash is or Monaro, this is what they're using. They're leveraging some the, the similar technology that we see in the dark web. They are applying that for good for the corporation, right? And so just like how Apple does that, governments like the UAE is doing the same thing. Governments like Estonia are doing the same thing, right? They're trying to see what, uh, instead of being disrupted, how do we harness it, right? Get ahead. Uh, and that's, I think that, that is what will make these countries, in my humble opinion, um, some of the smartest places on the planet to live. We're going to be smart citizens earning smart money, um, you know, paying smart bills, driving smart cars, smart being synonymous with digital, right? So uh, I think we, we live in very exciting times, but you, you brought up a really good point that I, I think a lot of people don't talk about, which is, you know, um, how I paraphrase it is, you know, the age of scarcity and the age of abundance, right? Yes. Everyone keeps talking about we're going into an age of abundance. Well, if you're wealthy, yeah, things are going to be cheaper, so you'll be wealthier, for sure, because everything's shifting to platforms. But those who are providing uh, those services to those platforms, so let's say Uber, if you're an Uber driver, right, and you're, uh, now the market is oversaturated with Uber drivers, then guess what? You have to lower your price for you to be competitive to a point where you're struggling to survive. I call that an age of scarcity. Or, in, or the reverse side of that, where governments and corporations say, um, you know, we have um, uh, this solution, this blockchain or AI solution that can save the country $100 million in one day, uh, but it's going to lay off 20,000 people, right? Which one do you choose, right? So uh, from a corporation perspective, they're going to almost always choose what's best for uh, shareholders, but from a country perspective, government should be thinking of its citizens. But will they? These are questions that I think we need to be having a lot more discussion around as we start adopting more and more uh, emerging technology, for sure. This is probably the biggest challenge of our civilization because we are starting to have like, uh, RR has been mentioned that in these books, um, but I think we've been we're starting to have like kind of two dual uh, um, well, dual, of course, a minority of people that are very digital savvy that yeah. actually are striving and going forward than the rest of the population that is becoming like a, a sub-humanity. Um, and this is kind of very scary, but we need to work yeah. towards that. So I want to go more positive, yeah, not on, sure. the posit on the negative side. But uh, um, so you created the COVID-19 yeah. and uh, you've been working a lot on this area. So my question right now on that level is, so with COVID-19, there's definitely... Um, a huge amount of digital transformation going forward, especially countries that were not time, because even if they don't want to, they have to, because everything right now is becoming yeah. digital. I've been, been seeing any trends um, from, your, from what you're seeing, and as well a bit about the COVID fund that you've been yeah. working. So I think it's particularly important, these things right now, because um, this might be a, an opportunity for a lot of business to become more digital, even people working from home, taking courses online, uh, banks to become more digital as well. I'm... 
I cannot accept that most of the mainstream banks in the Gifres. Yesterday, I tried to contact uh, my business banking, and I was literally one hour and half, and no one actually got back to me. And this is mainstream banks. I'm not going to criticize. So, but it's, it's a bit scared that uh, I don't understand. Even with COVID, there's technology. So there's still, I think a lot of these banks will disappear because if you're not there for your client when they need them, okay, why the hell they need you? So, but I would like to hear more from you because we're working with banks. So that I'm, of course, I'm very into fintech. I was working yeah. with banks. I have nothing against banks. I think I'm just saying yeah. that the ones that are not stepping out, uh, stepping in on these things, they will have a problem. Yeah. But just what yeah, are yeah. your opinion on this? Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you mind if I share a quick screen? Yeah, no, no, it would be a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So let me. Uh, I'll give you sharing. Let me pull up. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't. I, I was not prepared to do this, but you brought up something that I said. Well, let me just go ahead and share my screen. So one of the things I share, I call it, uh, this is obviously a part of a, a larger training session. And so for those in the, the financial services space, I, I talk about um, you know, what I call tomorrow's reality, or and for a lot of people, it's today's reality. This, I, I've been teaching this since really March of this year. And, you know, COVID has really uh, made this thing speed up. And so I talk about certain roles are going to diminish. These are roles that are more trans transactional. We talk about branch tellers, contact center agents, insurance agents, compliance officers, middle manager uh, roles, branches, physical branches will diminish, not go away, right? Uh, and that's a whole nother conversation. But when we talk about roles that I think are gonna stay for at least the next year to three years, we're looking at more relationship manager type of roles, roles that are about the relationship that we can have with our, our customers. This is, and this, what I'm showing you here, doesn't just apply to banks. I think it applies to every single industry, right? And the banks that are able to do this well, meaning personalize the relationship with their customers will do well, will remain, may not grow, but they'll remain. And so like you, you talked about your experience with one of your, these leading banks that you're working with now and how they were, you know, they had you on hold for one hour. That's unacceptable. And, and because of that, there's going to be a, a uh, challenger bank that's going to come across, come around and offer the that uh, a more personalized experience to customers like you and take business away from them, right? Uh, the other area that I think I'm confident is going to remain uh, are anyone that's in the role where you're managing risk, because risk right now is the, the greatest thing we're experiencing. None of us could have really predicted that COVID-19 was going to be here. Except if you're like Bill Gates, and that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but point is, uh, none of us really could have predicted that uh, we'll have something called COVID. So if you're in insurance, how, you know, what are the implications of COVID-19 on, on your business, right? So those people who are in risk, which is the number one topic in every single boardroom right now, how do we mitigate our risk exposure? Uh, how do we uh, that could be eliminating branches, eliminating workforce. That could be closing down product offerings. But risk management is the, one of the number one topics. But that's just a role that's going to stay for probably the foreseeable future. But roles that are going to increase, all of them, every single one of them, deals with collaboration. It, it can be from collaborating with different departments, collaborating with different companies, collaborating with government, uh, and, and then system architects being those people who are uh, the ones who understand the underlying tech technology and can figure out how to collaborate, how to execute that vision of collaboration. Data scientists, all about understanding the science or the, understanding the data, the trends, the insights around the data, 
designers, developers, and product managers, which I think are pivotal roles, uh, at least for the next, um, I would say, three to five years. And the reason being is they are like the glue that brings the designers together, that brings the developers together, that brings the product owners together, that brings, you know, all the key stakeholders together to, to work towards a common vision. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to, like I said, share that briefly. No, I appreciate it. And it's actually very inspiring. And I think I completely subscribe, of course. And I think it's great for our audience listening to us because the problem is not so much that it's the end of the world. Is that that's actually yes. fantastic things happening. And like you mentioned, this part of collaboration, which we're doing in different parts of the world, is easy for anyone. It's, it's yeah. a question of, but the point as well, and I want to touch this, and it was not in my list, but I think I want to ask you, especially sure. as an expert on this, is, the problem I feel, and even sometimes looking at my team, is the lack of energy. Okay, yeah. I think most of people have, are not educated to be entrepreneurial. They are educated yeah. to follow things and not question things. So you touched this a bit, but I would like to hear, especially that's a, for me. I think it's probably the most important thing. This yeah. because talking about collaboration, like you said, and you mentioned that even with the common friends that you like to question things, but most of people are afraid. Or then yeah. when they question, they just question because they go to YouTube and see conspiracy theory and they spend yeah. more time on that and, uh, and then actually trying to educate themselves and coming up with something that actually can create something constructive. So I would like to touch that part. Yeah, that's a heavy, heavy thing. Well, before I forget, I, in my book on page, page 68, I say that according to a publication from a team of entrepreneurship researchers from UC Berkeley, and UC San Francisco. Founders are twice as likely to suffer from depression, six times more likely to suffer from ADHD, three times more likely to suffer from substance abuse, 10 times more likely to suffer from bipolar disorder, twice as likely to have psychiatric hospitalization, and twice as likely to, uh, to have uh, suicidal thoughts. These are, that's the reality. And the, I think, the biggest reason is because our academic system teaches us to, uh, to one, remember a certain thing, wrote. To, but that doesn't necessarily, I, I feel, most academic programs don't teach you to think. They teach you to do, to execute, to do this one task. And the jobs of the future are, again, about collaboration. And so a lot of people are, are now being forced to become entrepreneurs because of circumstances. It is what it is, right? The reality that we live in now. And so they're so used to just doing what they're told, as you just said earlier, told, told, told. And now you're shifting from being told to being paid to think, which is a fundamental difference to being paid for um, what I call intellectual services. Whereas before you're, you're doing a, more of a commodity, you're, you're, you're selling a, a product. Now you're, being, you're selling your brain, your intelligence. Uh, and so for a lot of people, they're going to suffer, just, just the reality of it. So I think what, uh, the only way you can get better at anything, like, a, like your brain, which is a muscle, is if you exercise it. And so we, I think we need more and more people. Uh, we, you know what we need? We need influencers, social media influencers like yourself, to be out there uh, inspiring people to think for themselves, to create something new by collaborating with someone else. Because what's going to happen is you're going to fail 10 times, but get back up on the 11th. All you need is one time to, for, for, the, for you to have a breakthrough, for you to realize some real positivity, real success, real accomplishment. Anyone who's an entrepreneur will tell you this. You know, the largest company on the, on the planet right now is Amazon, right? Largest company. A lot of people don't know this. Amazon uh, is a 25-year-old company. 
25 year old company. It wasn't profitable for like 18 or 19 years of that, maybe even longer. So again, you take a business that's the number one business in the entire world. No other company has ever been this big in, it, in the world. Uh, and they were, they were not profitable for the majority of their existence. Let that sit in. And so we just need more and more, uh, in, I feel like influencers, because we, have, we live in a society of, fo- of followers. I hate to be blunt like that. But we need more people speaking up about, you know, go out there and create something, fail. It's going to happen, right? And we need a culture. We need to really develop a culture where failing is okay as long as you're learning from it. Not failing and doing the same shit again and failing again. Excuse my language. But failing and having measurable failing. Oh, okay. I see why I failed. Let me try something different the next time, right? Let me pivot, right? And uh, I think if we can do more of that, we'll do well. Another thing is because of technology, again, personalization, increasing productivity and leading to greater profitability, because uh, because of technology, you know, as long as you have a great imagination and you surround yourself with people who believe in your vision, you can build something. Build it. Win locally, then win regionally, then you can win globally. And I think that's the key to life right now. Find people that are willing to collaborate with you, that bring something different to the table, and build something. And just see what happens with it. Put some, put some effort into it. Don't sit back and wait for a check. Because that's how you end up and being depressed. That's how you end up being bipolar. That's how you end up being suicidal. The reality of it is go out here and change the world because we live in a world where we have plenty of opportunities. As I said earlier, it's an age of abundance. So it's up to you to be abundantly wealthy or it's up to you to be you know, scarce, to be you know, suffering. It's just my opinion. No, no, very inspiring and I completely couldn't uh, agree more. But as well, it's about having a sense of responsibility and a sense of ethics. I, I think sometimes people... Well, there's a lot of, uh, and I think America is very good on that because the vision of entrepreneurs sometimes, especially in Europe, is that uh, entrepreneurs are risky people and uh, risky for society. And I think uh, that vision has to disappear. But as well, like you mentioned, we are in a digital time. And for instance, one of the things that I've been teaching in universities, but uh, I've been very frustrated, to be honest, on that is that students, everyone is right now a digital brand. And you mentioned the influencer. Um, yeah. You are one, you're doing your work and doing a fantastic work in what you're doing and that brought you to other parts and getting a global work, but as well, very specific business. But you have to create yeah. your own startup of you, I think, using the, the, yeah. the Ray Hoffman book. And I, said, I think this startup of you and as well, this digital brand, it's something that we need all to work. But I think, like you mentioned, it's a struggle because most of people are not doing that. For instance, in my team, very few people are taking social media serious. And, yeah. uh, and of course, I'm not saying spending social yeah. media, putting likes and cats in Instagram or Facebook, but it's more about learning and engaging. And I think this is probably the biggest challenge. So um, as my last part, and I think it's been a sure. fantastic interview, and there's a lot of other things that I think will follow up, especially in specific areas. So yeah. as an inspiring person that has been working and educating and you are still doing that, so what would be the vision uh, for, and you touched that, but I'd like to go like more as a specific message, a vision that you see for the present and future proof that you've been talking and as well for people listening to us. Because I think I'm sure that everyone don't want to be a failure, lack of capacity to get out of the comfort zone, the fear, 
Uh, and even the prejudice, because there's a lot of prejudice. Okay, I'm going to social media, I'm going to be trashed, or I'm going to do yeah. something, I'm going to fail, or yeah. I don't get the money. But if you don't try, I think people like you and me, I'm sure that yeah. I failed plenty of times, I'm yeah. continuously failing. <laughs> and uh, like you mentioned, I think it's good that you mentioned Amazon was 18 years without making profit, and now is the biggest company on the planet, and the, the founder is the wealthiest man in the planet, by far. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, yeah. Interesting fact, right? If you take... Uh, what Jeff Bezos is worth today, and you divided it across the entire planet, right? And gave everyone, I think it was like $1,000, he would still be rich. <laughs> That's how rich this guy is. That, so let that sit in. A company, you know, actually I was watching an interview one time and they said, um, Jeff Bezos, you're worth almost $200 billion. He says, yeah, I don't see it that way. I see it as I've made other people almost $2 trillion. <laughs> Indeed, right? Let that sit in. So, point is, I mean, uh, you know. But just one thing, I, I wanted to provoke you. I know that you like sure. a good provocation, but of a course. lot of people as well, the first thing they see is that this criminal that he is worth all this money. And I want to be as well provocative in the sense that he didn't do anything wrong, actually. He was 18 years <laughs> on the edge. So I, mean, I think it's important as well to see the two sides of the barricade that we're not defending or attacking because, of course, whatever he does with his money is, is, a, is actually his money. So we yeah. can as well right now go and try to steal. But we need to think, okay, if he achieved... Okay, I yeah. want to provoke you on that, but I think it's an okay. important thing. The first step is to remember that you're awesome. No matter who you are, you know, we're, we are, as, as a human species, we're so awesome, we are able to create artificial intelligence, which is non-natural intelligence. We're able to create intelligence. And, and, in, and in its narrow format, uh, like narrow AI, we can create intelligence that's significantly better at doing that one thing than we can do. So if we create an AI to, to move, unlock this pen and uh, put it back in, it'll do it better than us at this point. So with that, we're awesome that we can create something like that. And so we have to always remember that, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is we have to remember that collaboration is the new everything. If you're not collaborating, then you're going to suffer, right? And so I truly believe the, num the number two thing is you must collaborate. And then the third thing is I think you have to find ways to surround yourself with people who want to do better for themselves you got to find so not just collaborate but you want to surround yourself with people who are going to uplift you and pull you up because in anything you do if you're working for someone else or you're building your own brand there are going to be times where you're going to be down you're going to be sad not going to be happy things are not going to go your way but if you surround yourself with people who are you know in it to win it in it with you they're going to always try to you know pull you back up so find the team to surround yourself with, collaborate with people to build whatever you want to build or help other people build those things. And then third, always remember that you are an incredible person. You are, you are, you're human. You're amazing. I love it. And I think I, I make these words, uh, uh, I shout it out to everyone because I think we need to realize that. So Absolutely. Damu, it's been an honor. I think just last note, my book and different things of course is in Amazon <laughs> but uh, other things where people can find besides finteachable.com we'll put all these links but uh, I sure. think it's important for people to interact because it's about like you said collaboration absolutely so I'm, I'm very fortunate enough that my, my uh, the book is now on uh, not just Amazon it's on Google Play or 
It's on Spotify, on Tidal. It's on just about all the platforms that we can get access to. So feel free to check out that. But if you ever want to contact me, just go to dummywinston.com or, yeah, that's probably it, dummywinston.com. That's the best way of getting in touch with me. So again, thank you so much for this opportunity. I look forward to continue to collaborate with you. Thank you, Damo. I think great, inspiring, and I think very practical things because I think sometimes you talk about theory, but the practice is very important. So I, I wish everyone listening to us that can engage and learn from your book and get your book and get your website and so forth and we'll pull all these links. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Absolutely. All the best.